0: Have you ever been called on the carpet? You had to face the music, explain something that your boss or your parents or the police officer questioned you about. This happened to the Apostle Peter. The church in Jerusalem heard what was happening in Caesarea. Remember the vision of the sheet tied to the corners and being let down with all kinds of unclean animals and Peter's initial reluctance to obey God. And finally, it was overcome. And when God opened the door of grace to the Gentiles. Well, chapter 11, as we unfold this, it caused quite a stir among the church in Jerusalem when Peter visited the Gentiles. In verses 1 through 8, We're going to listen to Peter's explanation of what happened at Cornelius' house. And in verses 19 to 30, we'll be blessed with the account of the establishment of the church in Antioch. Acts chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. When I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I... That I should withstand God. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Let's pray together. We bow in your presence, Father. We pray as your word is open before us, that also our hearts and our ears would be open. May your spirit speak to us about an area that we need to be convicted of, that we need to be encouraged, or we need to be counseled. I pray that you would be free among us to speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at how God had accepted the Gentiles in verses 1 through 18. Of course, chapter 10 was the account of Peter and Cornelius and all the miracles that happened there. And now in chapter 11, Peter is back in Jerusalem and he's facing criticism, verses 1 through 3. Now, the apostles and the brethren had heard what God was doing up there in Caesarea. And and no doubt they were so happy about it. But When they came back, Peter was met by some of the more stricter of the circumcision, which means those that were more legalistic Jewish believers. And he was called on the carpet and said, Peter, I heard something. You just have to tell me if it's true or not. You actually went and visited a Gentile in his own house and... You sat down and ate with him. Is that true? They called him on the carpet for that. As a matter of fact, they contended with him. It means to oppose or dispute. They rebuked him. The accusation lodged against Peter was that he went into the house. Not that they preached the gospel, which was okay, but his eating with them. Eating with someone was a mark of acceptance and fellowship. Now, of course, the Jews of that day and even those that were newly saved Jews, they were believers in Christ, they still had this Gentile bias. They felt that it somehow made them unclean if they hung around them, especially if they ate with them. What if some of their pork chop got on their roast beef side? And certainly they were terrified of having any kind of uncleanness with these Gentiles. You know, uh, the circumcision means that they were members of the strong legalistic party in the church of Judea. And there were many priests that were converted and accepted Jesus as their Savior, who would have been zealous for the law. And even the ordinary Jewish believers would have had a difficult time making that transition. You mean you went and you had supper with a Gentile? This was blowing their mind. They just couldn't accept it. Well, Peter offers an explanation. Now, these legalists were making a difference between Gentiles and Jews, and then Peter demonstrates that there is no difference. God had declared the Gentiles clean, and that is accepted before God on the same basis as the Jews, simply through faith in Jesus Christ. He had nothing to fear, Peter, because God... He was just simply following orders from God. So, Peter gives this explanation and he confirms that the Gentiles were saved. So, he reviews this entire experience when he's there before the, the legalistic members of the church in Jerusalem. He, in verse 5, he says, okay, let me tell you about this, this dream I had. I was up on the housetop and I had this sheet coming down filled with all kinds of unclean animals. And then the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, no, three times I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And then the voice said in verse these verses, what God has cleansed, you do not call unclean. And then as that voice went away. The sheet was taken up into heaven. And as soon as that sheet was taken up into heaven, there was visitors at the door. They were from Caesarea. They were from Cornelius's household. And Cornelius's household people, he sent them to get Peter. Peter can you come with us? There's a man by the name of Cornelius that wants to hear more of the word of the Lord. Well, the command came from the Holy Spirit, Peter says, I've got to go with him. I should not doubt anything. So in verse 12, he goes with him and he takes six Jewish brothers, uh, Jewish believers that were with him to witness this whole thing. Well, in verse 13, we have the recount of the vision of Cornelius. As Peter was up on the housetop, uh, having his vision of the unclean animals, rise and, and kill and eat, uh, Cornelius had a, an angel came to him telling him, hey, you need to need know more about Jesus. You send, send men to get Peter. So the two visions came together. In verse 14, Peter gives a gist of the sermon that he gave back in chapter 10. And then just as he was rounding it up and preaching the gospel, asking them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 15, something happens. The Holy Spirit comes down upon those Jewish or those uh, Gentile believers in Christ and they receive the Holy Spirit. Just like we did, Peter's talking to these Jews that were there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they got the same Holy Spirit that we did. And God was basically stamping his approval on the Gentiles to come into the body of Christ. In verse 17, he says this, how could we withstand? I could not withstand God. And in verse 18, the conflict is resolved. When they heard these things, this is Peter recounting to the legalist in the Jewish church there, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance in life. So the issue was settled. The conflict was over for a while. <laughs> However, this didn't end the matter completely for later on, that legalistic party. It might not have been the same people that were convinced there, but more people in the same philosophy, Jew separated from Gentile. They later debated with Paul about the salvation of the Gentiles. And even after the Jerusalem conference in chapter 15, when the matter was officially settled... Paul battled legalistic teachers and continued to attack him and invade the churches that he founded. And we find Paul writing to the Galatians and the Philippians and other letters that he had to write about these legalistic people that were trying to bring them back under the law after God had settled the issue. Now, I think that we can learn some uh, lessons about conflict. Now, the church had... "'Conflicts before. Disagreements are inevitable. Even those who hold to the same doctrinal truths will often disagree over matters of practice, and conflict in a church does happen. But conflict can also cause great harm to the advance of the gospel.' The devil is always trying to slow down and stop the gospel proclamation. Remember, even in the church, in in the book of Acts, we find the devil tried to stop them through persecution, tried to to get everybody afraid, hiding in their houses through persecution, persecution. And we also see that he tried to work inside the church through Ananias and Sapphira, their sin of lying to the Holy Spirit. He tried to stop the gospel proclamation through that. And then there was this guy by the name of Simon who was a sorcerer who joined the the apostles group and was causing great harm. But they dealt with it each time and determined not to sweep things under the rug, but so that the gospel could not be hindered. Well... It can also, conflict can focus on the problem instead of the progress. I've seen churches so many times that get so internal focused. They get arguing about this and arguing about that. Usually it has to do with stuff, you know, carpets and pews and ceilings and buildings and air conditionings and all of that stuff. You know why the devil wants us to, to do that? So that we are, are so busy with the conflict that we can't get the gospel out to lost people. And that's what could happen, but it also can be cured. We as a church need to address conflict with biblical truth as a measuring rod. Patience and grace needs to be had with those whom we disagree with. So I was thinking, what threats and what conflicts does the church of 2021 face? And I was doing some thinking this week. What are we facing? The first one is political idolatry. Sometimes we think that that's the answer. You remember the king's in the Old Testament, sometimes they, they would get very wicked. Take, for example, Ahab. He was a wicked king. Married Queen Jezebel and had prophets of Baal and false idolatry. And you know, God raised up a prophet by the name of Elijah. Elijah went up to King Ahab and pronounced the judgment of God upon him. And, and And fire came down from heaven and judgment was there. And so we all in the cheap seats saying, Yay, Elijah, you know, you go and you call that wicked king Ahab on the carpet. But there was another king. His name was David. Good king. Man after God's own heart. But he got off purpose when he sinned with Bathsheba. So there was another prophet by the name of Nathan who went and pointed his finger in David's face? You are the man. You have sinned, David. God broke his heart. You know, sometimes we need to point the finger in the face of power, no matter who that power is. We need to understand that politics is not something we as a church need to be involved with. God's people can get into political idolatry. There's another conflict and danger that we have to be aware of in 2021, and that's this whole thing of conspiracy theories, fantasy ideologies. Boy, I tell you, it seems like this past year there's been so much conspiracy. Did you hear this was going on? Well, it must be true. It's on Facebook. You know, we, we have to believe everything that's coming down. And you know what? We as believers need to be concerned about the truth. As a matter of fact, that's part of the armor of God. It's the first piece of the armor of God. Our loins girt about with truth. We as God's people need to have the filter of the word of God calling us to see, does that compare with the truth of God? Is this book represented? Is that person making a life that is following God's word? Another danger and conflict of the church that I see in 2021 is this whole thing of biblical illiteracy. Christians today don't know their Bible, they don't. And it's our fault. We who preach the word need to know it. We need to read it and understand it and be taught it. So it is a big filter up here. So when we hear something, that doesn't sound right, you know, oh, throw that out, throw that out, because it doesn't jive with the word of God. We need as God's people to resolve that when the conflicts come to have a biblical worldview. Okay, well, let's move on. Enough of that. Let's go to the founding of the church in Antioch, verses 19 to 30. I'm going to read some of this to get you up to speed. So the conflict's resolved. It's okay. The Gentiles are hearing the word of God, and now the church is starting to, hey, that's a ripe, wide-open mission field. Let's, uh, let's, Let's go after the lost Gentiles. Now, those who were scattered... After the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word, no one but the Jews only, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Antioch. The reference to Antioch in Syria prepares the reader for the importance of this city's subsequent narrative. City is one of many bearing the same name. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. Rome, of course, first, and then Alexandria and Egypt. And this, in the Roman Empire, third, was uh, Antioch. It was located on the Orontes River, 15 miles inland. It was known as Antioch on the Orontes. It was beautifully situated, carefully planned. Commercial center, had a Jewish community there. It was a busy port of luxury with culture. Antioch attracted all kinds of people, wealthy retired Roman officials. Also, it had a large cosmopolitan population with politi- politics and commerce mixing all around. It was, a, it was a busy city. Antioch presented the church as an exciting opportunity for a land, evangelism. You know, that's what they looked at. They didn't look at it and say, oh, man, I can go there. I can make a lot of money. I can go there and I can, I can be, have good schools with my kids. They went there because people need the Lord. It's a lot of lost people. Well, it was a wicked city, perhaps second only to Corinth. Though all the Greek, Roman, and Syrian deities were honored, the local shrine was dedicated to Daphne, whose worship included immoral practices. Antioch was the Roman world, what New York City would be to our world. In spite of the fact that it was such a vile city with gross immorality, the church at Antioch was destined to become the base of operations for Paul's missionary journeys. So the church is started. You know, it was started by laymen. See, the apostles stayed there. Philip and Stephen, no. It was just laymen that just left after the persecution that was there in Stephen. Some went over to Cyprus, some went other places. And uh, there was a group of people that went up to Antioch to to start their, their livelihood, and they took the name of Jesus with them. It was also started by preaching. They preached the word of God, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 21, it says, The hand of the Lord was with them the hand of the Lord is with him. Boy, I tell you, we can do a lot of things. We can be energetic, have a lot of programs. We could uh, have every niche filled and all of the things. But unless God's hand is on the work, all is vain. Boy, I tell you, that's, that's the one thing we need to ask. Lord, Please, put your hand on me. Bless this endeavor. I can't do it without you. I need your hand upon my family. I need your hand upon my ministry. I need your hand upon my relationships. That God would bless that. And we have that here in that church. That God's hand was on them. Oh, Lord, please let your hand be upon Peace River is our prayer. We also see the people came to faith. The believers... Were exhorted in verses 22 to 24. The news came what God was doing up there in uh, Antioch, down to the church at Jerusalem, and they said, You know, we need to send somebody up there. Who should we send? Ah, I know somebody. I know the perfect guy to go up there in Antioch. They're all scattered. They, they got saved, but they don't know what to do. You know, they, they know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. I tell you what, let's send, let's send Barnabas up there. You know his nickname, don't you? That was his nickname. His name was Joseph, actually. His nick was, nickname was Barnabas. And it simply means son of consolation or son of encouragement. He was always lifting up people. Don't you like to be around those kind of people? You know, sometimes when you've been around enough uh, people that are down and discouraged and they're always talking about what is bad is happening in the world. When you have a Barnabas that isn't God good today, I mean, has he been blessing you lately? And that's the kind of of person Barnabas was. He was able to to get people focused on Jesus and get people encouraged. So they sent Barnabas up there to encourage people. That was a long trip from Jerusalem up to Antioch. It was 300 miles. I bet his feet got sore walking all that distance up there. Maybe he rode a donkey. I don't know. There wasn't any other transportation back then. Well, he was a generous man. He was also uh, a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. He would be more open-minded towards the Gentiles. He got them excited about the Lord. and And he told them to stick with it, cling to the Lord, hang on there. He got them excited. And we all need this type of ministry in the church. I hope that you and I can be a Barnabas to somebody. There's some new believer that's discouraged, been battling sin. They've been losing. They're 0 for 5, you know, and they, they need they need someone to lift them up and encourage them. Said God is still good. He still answers prayer, and he loves you, my friend. You hang in there. That was the kind of ministry that Barnabas had. Well, they needed somebody else. Barnabas knew that. He was lifting up people. God was blessing, but I need somebody to take these people a little bit deeper, deeper in the word. So in verse 25, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The believers were taught. He looked for Saul. He went to Tarsus. That's Saul's hometown. He was teaching the word of God there. He said, uh, Barnabas left him for a while. And said, hey, I need to go get somebody. And he went and he found Saul and said, Saul, let me tell you. God is doing some amazing things in this Gentile city of Antioch. You've got to come with me. These people need your gifts, your talents that God has given you. And he, Barnabas, being the, the encourager and the, and the positive thinking person that he was, was able to get Paul to come along. And they taught for a whole year. Wouldn't it? you have loved to have been there? Being around Barnabas, the encourager, the the lifter of spirits, and Paul being taught, man, that church was blessed by God with the teaching of the Word of God there in that church. Oh, my friend, what a wonderful ministry they had for that whole year as they met with them and taught with them. Well, the believers were also identified in verse 26. It says, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, so it was for a whole year. They assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, the word Christian is just used here, and it's only used three times in the entire New Testament. The word, the ending I-A-N, means belonging to the party of Christ, Christians were those of Christ's party. It was given to them by the unsaved people around them in derision as the pagan citizens of Antioch uh, joined this together. Those are the Christians, the followers of Christ. Well, the word Christian became a badge of honor. And they were not ashamed to bear his name. They were noticed by the community because they were followers of Christ. Ah, I wonder, I ask myself, what does the community that we live in notice about us as individuals? When we're out in the public, oh, there's a Christian Those are the ones that follow all the rules, you know, and all of that. Oh, those are the ones who are arrogant. Those are the ones or whatever. We need to be known as followers of Jesus and lovers of people. Well, that church in Antioch was also seen as the believers were giving in verses 27 to 30. They were a giving church. And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. That church... Had believers who were giving. Every man gave according to his ability. So it was grace giving. They gave to the brothers in Jerusalem. Because of the famine. They were helping out the poor saints in another church. Remember it's gone full circle. Remember that church in Jerusalem? They sent them Barnabas. And they were able to get them stronger. And established in the word of God. Now they're at the point where they're helping their mother church. It's amazing how things can go like. Well, that Antioch Church was a great church because it focused on the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, it focused on discipling believers with the Word of God. Oh, folks, we need encouragement, but we need the teaching of the entire Word of God. We should never apologize for being a Bible believing, Bible preaching, and Bible teaching church. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that's going to keep us strong. In April of 2011, there was a line of deadly tornadoes that ripped across the state of Alabama, leaving some 250 people dead in its wake. Near Wellington, Alabama, the Hardy family realized the storm was coming too late to find a permanent shelter. They considered trying to take shelter in a metal clubhouse, but it had already been turned on its side by the strong wind. So in desperation, they took shelter in a small stand of trees. They tied a rope around the kids and huddled around them in the trees as the storm passed. A family member said that while they had been scratched by flying dirt and debris, none suffered any serious injuries. Imagine... How tightly you would cling to the trees and the rope in such a situation. Knowing that your life or the life of your child might depend on your grip would give you all the motivation you needed to hang on with every ounce of power you could muster. My friend, another storm is coming. It's the storm of sin and temptation. It's the storm of... uh, political correctness. It's the storm of all kinds of false views and, and cults and all of those. And the only thing you can do is hang on to the rope, the rope of God's Word. Hold it firmly with your family and the teachings of Scripture. It's the only thing that's going to get us through this 2021. With all of the biblical illiteracy out there, you and I as believers in Christ need to hold on to our rope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you so much for giving us the truth of scripture. And Lord, we're hearing so many voices. It's like the winds blowing that's going to blow over so many people and even people who claim the name of Jesus. God, I pray you would help us to hold on to your word strong so that we will not be uprooted and blown away with the rest. Father, I pray if there's one here that's never received Christ as their Savior, you would speak to that heart. Help them to understand that they have no chance at all of standing in the storm unless they're holding on to the rope of God's Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.